This is the coolest podium ever, coolest, coolest pulpit. I'm raising it if you can't tell. I forgot to do it before. That is so cool. Thank you uh, for your singing this morning. It was beautiful. Uh, we are going to continue in our study of 1 John, and so if you have your Bibles, you can turn them to 1 John chapter 4. It's amazing to me, actually, that we're already in chapter 4 and, and getting close to finishing it. We'll finish it next week. Uh, we are uh, contemplating the love of God, and it is something that, as we talked about last week, what John says about God's love is of such excellence, such grandeur and beauty. It inspires great admiration and awe. This, this, is, this is the way I introduced last week. It was the idea with this picture. This picture of Mary holding her son Jesus is, is portraying, it's a famous work of art. And, and I talked about the fact that when you're focused on something, you can look at it from different perspectives or maybe just from the same perspective, but just maybe uh, consider some aspects of, of, of the picture or the piece of art that you hadn't considered before. I didn't mention it last week, but as you continue to look at this picture, can you consider how you would feel as a mother at that particular time in Mary's life. What's depicted there, we can say, we know that the death of Christ is what redeemed us, right? Paid our, paid our sins in full. But look at it from a mother's perspective. A mother's perspective who, who doesn't fully understand that the resurrection is coming. She has lived her entire life from the standpoint of knowing there's something special about this little baby, this little boy, this young man, this full-grown man. She must have been frightened throughout his earthly ministry as as she considered the dangers that that might come upon him with the opposition that was uh, certainly being experienced by Jesus and his disciples. And then the dreadful day where she sat there and embraced her son's body. I'm, I'm assuming this is, his, you know, in one sense, I'm sure Mary saw her, the, the body of her son. And so this is just portraying that. But this, think about it. This is a love, this is a type of love that's being portrayed in this sculpture that some people have actually encountered in their own life. I know parents who have lost children. It's normal for children to lose parents, but for a parent to lose a child, it somehow seems out of order of things, doesn't it? And we can enter into the depth of love that we're kind of looking at as we're talking about human to human. But we have been studying the love of God, which can't be put in a sculpture, can't be put in a completely, can't be put on a, on a portrait of any sort. So this is just a way of us kind of helping us enter into this topic, this love, this, again, this, this idea of what John's going to say. We can look through all of Scripture, and we will not be able to piece together a complete picture of the love of God. We do know that it is most visibly seen in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the greatest expression of love. So as, as we go on, the, the big idea for last week was very practical. To know God's love demands that we show God's love. And I'm very thankful for those who have communicated to me and said that that, that spoke to them on some level. And uh, that's always good to hear. I'm not, I'm not begging for any amens. All right? I'm not, I'm not, I don't do that. Uh, but it is nice to know that as God's word is preached, it's, you know, it actually 
has, uh, it completes the work that it's intended to do. And so, but I, I realize with this particular big idea, there, there could be a, uh, some erroneous thinking about it. Maybe some erroneous practice, right? To know God's love demands that we show God's love kind of sounds like it's our work. It kind of sounds like, you know, that we have to muster up the ability to, to, to show this love. And, and I think that if you've been a Christian any length of time, you understand the nature of the gospel. The gospel is that God does all the work and we receive all the benefits from it. God forgives our sin and he counts and he, and he gives us righteousness, right? So we are righteous in the eyes of God. We didn't do anything to earn that. And I'm, gonna, I'm saying this, to know God's love demands that we show God's love. We are called to obedience, as children of God, we learned earlier in chapter, I think it was chapter 2, to abide is to obey. It's the idea to obey the love commandment. Love the Lord thy God and love your neighbor. And, and I, I don't know if you get the sense that John has this predisposition to always be talking about love in some aspect or some form. And so when we talk about to know God's love demands that we show God's love, it is a command. We are to love one another. John is squarely addressing the church. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. He's talking to the people that you know and love. He's talking to the people that irritate you to no end. And if they're in the body of Christ, you are to love them. We learn in the beginnings class, that, uh, in the community class, I believe we touch on the fact that we are to love others because they are created in the image of God. That is like the baseline uh, level of love. You love another person because they, they are made in the image of God. Certainly, that means we love those who we've never met, right? That mean, really, that means that our missionaries, as they go forth and as they, as they minister the Word of God in, their, in, a, in a culture that they serve in, uh, we are supposed to love those people. Part of that love is by supporting the missions to go, for the missionary to go there. But it certainly means that we are to love the people within our own gathering. And, and, and so I think John is saying there's some issues within churches that he sees. And this isn't easy. So to know God's love, demand that we show God's love right here, right now, every day. And not just when we're here together, but when we meet on the street, when we're praying for one another. This love is, is comprehensive from God's perspective, we're supposed to be doing this to everybody all the time. So we talked last week three aspects of God's love. Well, I'm not going to re-preach re the message, but I want to just touch on The essence of God's love is found in His nature. God is love. He's going to say it again next week in our, in our text. Uh, we're going to go through uh, verse 16, the first part of it. 16a, it's referred to. 16b brings up this idea that God's love again. We're, we're going to save that to next week. But we, we saw that the essence of God's love is found in His nature. God is love. We talked about the expression of God's love is seen in the person of Jesus Christ. We know, and, and, and John is telling us, that the clearest presentation of God's love is the fact that God sent His Son into the world. And we know that's the incarnation, but we also know that's the propitiation, right? He, he died for your sins and for mine. We saw that that's the extent of God's love is seen in his actual crucifixion, which that sculpture kind of brings us to, brings to our mind. 
It's an amazing love for sure. As we go into today's text, we're going to be looking at verses 11. I finished with 11. We're going to start there again today because it's still the context of what we're talking about. So to know God's love is to show, it demands that we show God's love. It, that's still what we're kind of talking about. But specifically, we're going to talk about this aspect of assurance of salvation. There are some questions. You might think this doesn't fit. It fits. John, again, he's more circular in the way he presents his discussions, but we're still in the context of love. And he says, assurance of salvation comes by trusting in God's work and God's word. I don't know if you've ever struggled with assurance of salvation. It's a question of love. Does, Does God love me or not? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son... That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, well, I believe in his son, but you know, I've really been not such a great person. And uh, does God still love me? That's a question of assurance of salvation. Uh, I didn't know there was such a thing. I've already told that story recently, so I'm not going to share it again. But I, I went through a time where I, I didn't even know it was a thing. I kept praying the prayer of salvation over and over and over and over again because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. Uh, to make sure I was right with God until another brother in Christ came to me and said, do you understand what assurance of salvation is? And I told you, I was going this on the outside, but on the inside I was like this. What are you talking about, right? So maybe that's where you find yourself today. What do you mean this assurance of salvation? How can you know that you're going to heaven? Have you had that discussion with your friends, families, neighbors? You say you can know that you have eternal life. Yes, because John's going to tell us that in chapter 5. How can you know? Well, enter into his word and, and it will, God will instruct you. So this assurance of salvation is something that uh, teenagers, young, well, really, uh, uh, I won't say young, young children, but as those young children get saved at the age of four, five, six, seven, you know, and then as they get a little older, like, did I fully comprehend the knowledge that was necessary to actually place my faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so they struggle with assurance. And oftentimes, they, they will just say, you know what? Just to make sure that I am good with God, I'm in a right relationship, I'll go ahead and I will pray that, uh, I will pray for his forgiveness and I will, I will uh, proclaim my faith in, in the person and work of Christ. And, and, and so then they, they will say that's the day they have come to assurance of their salvation. Do you have assurance of salvation this morning? Do you know that if you were to die today, the famous question, right? Do you know if you die today that you would enter into God's presence for eternity because of what Jesus did, not because of what you did? Do you you have that assurance? I hope you do. And if you do not, it is so simple for us to engage. I, I, I believe strongly that the Word of God draws people to Himself. We talked about, we talk about doctrinal depth, right? A passion for God draws us deep into His Word. It is, it is that, that doctrine, that's boring. No, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of assurance is what gives us confidence in our life now. And if you don't know what salvation is or you don't have assurance of a salvation, come talk to me, talk to any of our pastors, almost talk to anybody who claims to be a Christian because most of us have dealt with this. And so John is not necessarily saying anything new. He's just trying to buttress the faith 
of, of the people he's writing to. They're struggling. They have false teachers. They're, they're, they have false gospels. And, and there's, a, there's some confusion. So John comes on the scene and he says, listen, assurance of salvation is a question of love. God still loves you. And we know we have assurance of salvation. It comes by trusting in God's work and God's word. So we'll, we'll get into this. First of all, we'll go and remind ourselves of chapter 4, verse 11. He says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's, that was the command, right? Why is it a command? Because as we re, this is going to become important because as we look at this if statement, if God so loves us, I'm not going to get into all the Greek, but there's three different forms of if clauses that can be in Greek. One expects a positive answer. Uh, one expects a negative answer. And the third one is the idea of it's up to you. What, what's the condition? This is a first-class conditional sentence, and this is saying God so loved us. It's, if God loved us, it's the idea, the expected answer is, yes, he loved us. This isn't a, this isn't a hypothesis or, uh, or, or, or something that they're considering. No, this is a done deal. John is saying, beloved, God so loved us. Therefore, we ought, there's that command, we ought to love one another. It is a command, even though it's phrased in the way it is. It is a command. This command to love one another is something that, uh, again, John is going to challenge for the church. We are, certainly we're not going to negate that we are to love the world outside of this body of believers, right? We're not going to say, oh, I just need to love the brothers and sisters in Christ that are here at Merrimack Valley Baptist Church. You know, it doesn't mean that we're not supposed to love other Christians and, uh, who, who attend other churches. It doesn't mean we're not supposed to love uh, the lost, right? Those who have not come to faith. But John is squarely identifying there is a need for the expression of love in this local body. And he, and he kind of fleshes that out a little bit more for us today. So as we, as we consider this, these, this is... Uh, this is the first set of points, and then there's a second set. So we're going to, I didn't, I'm not going to build upon them. We're just going to lead it up there for a minute. I'm going to walk through it, and then we're going to walk through it in detail. We can have assurance of our salvation because God is always working. Have you ever considered the fact that, that God doesn't neither sleep nor slumber, right? When you're awake in your bed, the psalmist says, God is there. He's awake. He's active. He's there to hear your petitions. He's there to comfort you with his grace. Right? So we know we can have assurance of our salvation because he's always working. We're going to see in verse 12 two aspects of that. The, the idea of showing God's love. It testifies to God's presence as well as it fulfills love's purpose. God has a purpose for love and we're going to look at that. It also points out that his working is through the power of the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. We also see that we can have assurance of our salvation because you're going to see these points again. Uh, because God's word is always true. We do not have to doubt God's word. We should not doubt God's word. It is always true. Now, again, you always have to read it in context. And, and, and if it's true when God records someone telling a lie, right? So it's, uh, that's the truth of it. And so, so you can wrestle with that on your own. But listen, this is how we have assurance. Our faith agree, agrees with apostolic witness. That's, that's a great place to, to be, have un, uh, unity, right? Apostolic witness. Our faith professes Jesus is the Son of God. That's taught in the Word of God. And our faith is, the re, is re, in the revealed gospel of love. And this is what John's going through. So we're going to go through this text 
And we're going to see in verse 12, John just kind of out of the blue, right? Remember verse 11. Uh, he's saying, listen, if God loved us, we ought to love each other. And then he says, no one has ever seen God at any time. It kind of comes out of the blue at you. It's like, huh? What's going on? What's he saying? Well, first of all, he's saying no one has ever seen God at any time. That's what he's saying. Nobody. And we'll, we'll flesh this out a little bit more in a minute. He, he says uh, this, this verb here, has seen, is, uh, is kind of an interesting word. It does mean to see something. But I, I, had, I put this, the verb here implies a careful observation or close scrutiny. When's the last time you've had a God sighting where you could say, I've seen the totality of God? You know, we, we tell people, hey, look for those God sightings, right? When God shows up and you see God in, at work, we know that we're seeing God's hand in action, but we are not seeing the hand of God physically. We are not able to have this uh, careful observation and close scrutiny of the person of Jesus Christ, or excuse me, of the person of God. If you go back to the Old Testament and, you know, Moses, you know, he, he uh, goes before God. He says, let me see your glory. And God says, you can't handle my glory. I'll put you in a cleft of the rock. I'll put my hand over it. I'll pass by and I'll let you see my backside, right? The, the trail of, of my glory. But you can't handle all of me. And nobody can. Throughout Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, we know no one has ever seen God face to face. It's a term used of Moses, a man who's, who talked with God in the, in, as, a, as a metaphor like face to face, right? Because he would step into God's presence in the tent of meeting and he would go up on Mount Sinai. And those, but he never saw God in his totality because God's Word tells us you can't. So, so John is saying uh, in, in this verse, no one has seen God at any time. That's important for us. There are religious organizations out there that will say, oh, I've seen God, or I've seen Jesus, and, I, and, 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 and we have to be, we have to be c- careful with those. And I'm not going to get into all that, but it does go back to the beginning of chapter 4 where he says, hey, be discerning of the spirits, right? Uh, they're spirits of God and spirit of Satan, so uh, spirit of evil, I will say. Uh, and so, listen, no one has seen God at any time. No one has been able to look at him carefully and fully and kind of scrutinize every aspect. It's never been done. It's, but here's this conditional clause again. If we love one another. Remember the first conditional clause is, if God so loved us, then we ought to love one another. Here it's saying, if we love one another, this is not a first class condition or a second class condition. It's the third class condition. This is saying there's the possibility that we won't do it. The first class says, God did it. God loved us this way. We ought to. He's saying here, if we love one another and there's a possibility that we will not. This should bring us right into the context of our local gathering. There's a possibility that in this room there are people who haven't talked to each other in years and not because they haven't met. It's because they had a difference years ago. I don't know if that's true or not, uh, but it's possible, right? It's possible. He's saying, if we love one another, this is the positive, if we are to do that, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. And this is where we get these first two points that I was pointing out. It's the idea that if we love one another, if you choose, if I choose to act 
in love towards you, or you towards me, or towards one another, right? There's a kind of a couple layers of this. This is talking. I'm talking individually at first. Then God abides in us. So I think there's this individual aspect. If I choose to love someone, uh, someone else in the room, that's a personal thing. But John is dealing with a congregation, and probably multiple congregations at this point. He's saying, if we, plural, love one another, then God abides in us. I'm gonna, I don't have the text, but this is one of those things, and I, I don't know where I was going to share it, so I'll throw it in here. It's uh, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Don't forsake the assembling of, of uh, coming together, right? As some are in the, in the, in the habit of doing, right? We're, as believers, we're supposed to come into community. Why? This is one of those questions that it doesn't haunt me. It's just I keep finding myself dwelling on it. Why is it important that you're here today? Why is it important that you step foot in the building with other Christian believers? Now, I'm, not, I'm not penalizing those joining us online today, right? Because if you're ill and not able to be here, if you have concerns or a compromised immune that system, that's why we are streaming it. That's why. But please do not get comfortable with streaming church. That, that's not the best practice. It's an acceptable practice in a, in a pandemic, right? But there is a reality that if we don't come together, we can't love one another the way we're called to love. And if we don't come together, this reality doesn't take place. God is not abiding in us as a whole body. Certainly the ones that are here. But it's important that you come to church. Because it's not the church building. It's coming to the gathering of God's people. If I could be passionate about anything, let's, let me be passionate about this. You being here matters. It's, it's, it should not be an option. It should be the standard. And by the way, we gather together at different times in different places. And, and if possible, you ought to be there. But I'm not saying if the door's open, you have to walk through it, right? I'll use my wife as an example for that. She's a nurse. There's plenty of times she wasn't able to walk through the door of a church over the service, and she may even have to leave today because she's on call, right? We have, we have, there's different parts that will keep you, rightfully keep you from the gathering, but this is the idea. Don't keep yourself from the gathering. It's, a, it's vital that we have community and that we live with one another, right? One of our other principles, right, is, is oh, and I'm going to blow it, so I, I have to go to my cheat sheet because this is impromptu. It's the idea of, of um, local relevance, right? No, that's not it. Relationships. Growth happens best in relationships. If we're never in relationship with one another, we can't do all those things that God has called us to do. We can't do mentorship. Disciples make disciples who make disciples. We can't do that if we are not loving one another in community. So that's what John's talking about. It's not just talking about Fred getting along with uh, Francis, right? That, that's just not what he's specific. I mean, yes, that's the lowest level. But he's talking, listen, if we love one another, the body of Christ is intended to love one another. Why is this important? It says that God, God abides in us. So showing God's love testifies to God's presence. If we are not actively engaged in loving one another, it's not a testimony to God's presence. 
He says, if we love one another, God abides in us. This is important because although no one has ever seen God at any time, when his body, again, Jesus, there were those who saw Jesus, right? But then he's ascended. We haven't seen Jesus. We haven't seen the totality of God. When we love another, God abides in us. We are the body of Christ. And when we gather God is in our midst. His presence is here. And that's what he's saying. Showing God's love testifies to God's presence. And this is going back to that idea that the love that we are doing, and we're not pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps and saying, all right, I don't like it, but I'm going to love one another. I'm going to love all you folks. I don't like it, right? I'm a private person. I don't do that kind of sissy stuff, right? That's not what I'm talking about. We're saying showing God's love testifies to God's presence. This is not something that we do in of ourselves. This is God working in us and through us. Remember, God's love is on display, not ours. We're the vehicle. Showing God's love testifies to God's presence. Can an unsaved uh, congregation, right, a, a gathering of people, can they demonstrate God's presence? No, because he's not there. We're going to see that the Spirit is indwelling us, and that is the Spirit of God. That is the presence of God that we experience. But showing God's love testifies to God's presence. Have you ever been to a church where you're like, wow, the Spirit of God was there? Well, in a sense, the Spirit of God is wherever God's people are gathered, but there are varying levels of manifestations of God's presence in the Spirit. And so, listen, if one of those reasons that people walk in and out of churches and say, wow, it's because of the love that they experienced and the love that they witnessed while they were there. We can have assurance of our salvation because God is always working. He's working in, in and through us. His love, as it, is, as it is expressed, as it is shown, testifies that He is present in our midst. It goes on to say that if we love one another, his love has been perfected in us. This is wonderful. Our mission is to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ to God's glory, right? So if, if, we, if we understand that we are, as we love one another, his love has been perfected, that idea of perfected is, is not that it's without flaw. It's the idea it has reached its intended end, its intended goal. If we love one another... We actually uh, uh, reach the point that God wants us to reach in our gatherings with one another. If we love one another, His love has been perfected in us. It's the idea that showing God's love fulfills love's purpose. It's, God has a purpose for love. Now, God is love, don't get me wrong. God, it's, it's his nature, everything he's do, everything he does, everything he is, is somehow manifesting this, this, the reality that he is love. But as we experience the love, as we show the love, showing God's love, again, not our love, it's coming God's love through us, we, it fulfills love's purpose in our lives. God's purpose for love is to be uh, is he gives it to us so we can give it to others. When we love one another, when that dynamic is true, we've, we've actually fulfilled the purpose that God has for love. It's complete when we're doing it. What happens if we go back to that conditional sentence? If we love one another, and let's say we're not, 
Let's say we're not loving one another. Oh, well, if we're not loving one another, then uh, we're not giving testimony of God's presence, and we are not fulfilling the purpose that God gave us love for. God's love is to come forth, and it is supposed to be other-oriented, and it's supposed to be reciprocal, back and forth. And when that's happening in, a body, in the body of Christ, it is beautiful, and it is powerful, and it is a work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we'll see. It says here, our ability to love one another is dependent upon the Spirit whom He has given us. Right? We know the Holy Spirit indwells us when we come to faith. We didn't do anything to earn the presence of the Spirit. It's given to us. The Spirit lives in us. That's a biblical truth. It implants, He implants God's love in us. He's the vehicle of this. He exercises His love through us and thus ensures us that we live in God. This is all talking about the assurance that we are in union, right relationship with God. It's all through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what John brings us to. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. We're, we're talking about the, the, uh, the work of God right now, right? So this, this idea, just so you know, there's a lot of question mark as to, is this referring back to verse 11 and 12? Is this referring forward to the idea that because He has given us His Spirit? Throughout the epistle of John, when he uses the Greek word that says, by this we know, right, that phrase, he's usually pointing forward, all right? And so this is the way this interpretation takes it anyway. By this we know that we abide in him. And notice this, and he in us. This is, this is John is focused on this. We have a relationship with God through the personal work of Jesus Christ. We don't come here to worship Him and to pay our, our dues or to somehow uh, try to demonstrate through some, some physical manifestation that, you know, okay, God, you got to love me today because I'm doing this. I'm giving you money. I'm, I'm giving to the poor. I'm, I'm working hard behind the scenes, you know, whatever. No, He's saying this, by this we know that we abide in Him, that we live in Him and He lives in us. You want to know that you have assurance of your salvation then you need to make sure you're wrapping your mind and heart around the fact that God is in you and you are in God. That is a Christianity 101 statement. This is what it means to be in right relationship with God. He is in us and we are in Him. It says, by this we know that this is a reality because He has given us of His Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in this room. The Holy Spirit is taking the Word of God. And the Word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for reproach, for correction and righteousness. I think I got the two words mixed up there. But it's the idea that God's Word goes forth. And it does His work through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now when I tell you to know God's love demands that you show God's love. I think there was a certain aspect of the conviction of the Holy Spirit that was taking place last week because I got positive feedback. Like, yeah, I'm wrestling with that. That's good. Well, let's consider what's going on today. By this we know that we abide in Him because He has given us His Spirit. The Word of God is still working. It's seeking to call you to account to who you are in God. And in Christ, and he's saying, listen, because he's given us a spirit, we know. You don't have to doubt. 
that God loves you. You don't have to doubt if you're saved. If, if, if you have the presence, of, if you're feeling conviction of the Holy Spirit, you feel the joy, if you have the fruit of the Spirit, if all those things are taking place in your life, then take confidence in that because God is doing His work. All right? And that's what we're talking about. We can have assurance of our salvation because God is always working. He never takes a day off. And he, His love testifies to His presence. Amen. His love, it fulfills the purpose of love, which is to, to be, uh, have us acting in love towards one another. And the Holy Spirit is the agent that, that has been given to us. And notice that little statement at the end there. It says, the Holy Spirit has been given to us and remains in us. Why, why do I bring this up? As you look at this, because he has given. John loves the perfect tense of verbs. And what it means, the perfect tense is basically saying something happened in the past and it has continuing results that are going on. And, and, and it's written in such a way that if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. God has given you his spirit. You will never not have the Holy Spirit. David prayed, Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Because David was before the time of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was empowered by the Spirit. But we know that Saul, the king prior to him, God removed his Spirit from Saul. Saul didn't have a salvation like we have a salvation because we know the salvation comes through Jesus Christ and him alone. And, And the text here says that God has given us his Spirit. It is given in a a point in time, the time we come to faith, and he continues in our life for eternity. The the Greek grammar, the way it's worded, I mean, I'm sure the English accomplishes this as well, but it's fun to be able to talk about this. This is is a reality for us. This is a reality that Holy Spirit has been given to us and remains in us. All right, so... um, so now we're going to look at, we can have assurance of our salvation because God's word is always true. Uh, with the time we have, I think we've got plenty of time to work through this because this is pretty simple stuff. All right? How, do, how can I know that I am secure in my salvation? So God's word tells you so. And so first of all, we see our faith agrees with the apostolic witness. That's important, right? It's, so John says, and we have seen this we... It's talking about John and the other apostles. It's going back to chapter 1 where he's saying, listen, we're, we're professing to you the Jesus that we saw, we heard, we touched. That's the apostolic witness. There were people, that, and John is one of them, who actually witnessed the person and work of Jesus Christ firsthand. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. So we, as, as we consider our faith, our faith agrees with the apostolic witness. We haven't seen Jesus. We haven't seen John. We are so far removed from that apostolic witness, it might cause one to wonder, is it reliable? Well, let's remember, it's a witness account. The, the Holy Scripture, right, the Bible is given to us and it records through the power of the Holy Spirit what took place. Remember, the Holy Spirit was going to work in the minds and the hearts uh, uh, and in the hands of of the the apostles and the disciples that were going to write. And and the Holy Spirit was going to actively remind them of all that Jesus said. And God was so kind to us that he recorded it in his word. So so when we think about assurance of our salvation, uh, it's because God's word is true. 
It is based on, on witness testimony, firsthand testimony. And our faith agrees with that apostolic testimony. If it didn't agree, then I think we'd probably be following a false gospel. And so this, this idea, we have confidence, we have in our assurance because God's word, which has been handed down through the ages, our faith agrees with that. That's what John says. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the, word, of the world. I was there, John says, right? I've seen it and I've given testimony that the Father sent the Son. He's claiming the deity of Jesus Christ. And he is the Savior of the world. He's proclaiming the work of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. John is saying, I'm a witness. As we go through, it says, secondly, our faith professes Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, John is very specific. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God... God abides in him and he in God. You see how this, John is very focused on the, on the reality that there is this, this uh, reciprocal relationship, that, that, that it, this reciprocal indwelling. We are in God through Christ and God is in us through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God in our lives is the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, but whoever confesses, this idea of confess, this is, this is one of those simple things, and so it won't take long. It's not just saying the words, oh, Jesus is God, right? It's not just saying Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that for the first 18 years of my life. It wasn't enough for me to confess that Jesus is the Christ without the faith behind it. Whoever confesses, this is the idea of confess, uh, profess, proclaim, have faith in this truth. Jesus is the Son of God. God abides in him and he in God. Whoever confesses this, that Jesus is the Son of God, God's abi- the, the, I, I can be sure of my, my union with God through Christ because his word tells me whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. It's that simple. All right, so take God at his word. One of my simple little sayings I use a lot, let's take God at his word. Do you confess that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that one, going back to the previous verse, all right, do you believe that he is God's Son who is also Savior of the world? The only one who is, whose sacrifice was sufficient and efficient to pray for all sin of all time. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. That's, that's the gospel. We're going out there. We're trying to get people to call upon the name of the Lord. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. But that's not just calling upon it as in, okay, as, as an easy believism. It's the idea. No, do you understand the gospel? Are you confessing that Jesus is God in the flesh? Because there were people in, in, in John's day that were not doing that. We talked about this. Those are the false witnesses, the false uh, teachers. But that's, that means that God's in him and, and God is, uh, and you are in God. Thirdly, we can have assurance of our sal- salvation because God's word is always true. Our faith is in the revealed gospel of love. This is that last verse, just the first part of it. Our faith is in the revealed gospel of love. He says, and we have known. Again, this is the perfect. This is the idea. We've known it. We continue to know it. And believe, perfect tense, we believed and we continue to believe. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. 
Well, what love is that? Well, John's the apostle of love, and he is also the one that, that gave us John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He's saying, listen, we have known and believed that God, the, the love that God has for us. Have you come to that realization that God loves you? So much of the world is all pent up over uh, trying to understand who God is. And the reality is, he is a loving, merciful God who is also a just God. And he has all these attributes and, and, and they are all pure and perfect all at the same time. And, and he cannot turn his eye from sin. If you have never come to faith in Jesus Christ because of what, who he is and what he's done, then your sin is still in your account. It's still in your checkbook. It's all right there. Your bills are due. But if you come to faith, God says, I'll take all your sin and lay them on the person of Jesus Christ. And his work is what is atoned for your sin. And I will place into your account the righteousness that is due all those who come to faith in my son. We have known it. We have believed it. It continues because that's the love that God has for us. That's why we gather together here on Sunday. So assurance of salvation comes by trusting in God's work and trusting in God's word. He is the, he is the, he is the agent, agent of change in our life. You're not going to do it on your own. But let God's love work in you and through you. And then take confidence in that. That's, that is what should give you assurance that you are in a right relationship with God. And by all means, if you, are, if you have not chosen to always express the love of God within this assembly to those brothers and sisters, then you're in sin. And if, I, if, it, if it's true of me, I'm in sin. And we need to confess that sin. We need to be those who are practicing, who are expressing the love of God, God's love to one another all the time, and to every person for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. As always, Father, it is challenging. It's such a short book, a short letter that John wrote, and it is packed full of truth that will change our lives. Father, I'm thankful for the knowledge that I can be assured that I'm in right relationship with you. I do not have to wonder if my sins have somehow, uh, after coming to faith, that my sins have, have somehow uh, become a barrier to my relationship with you. We, we truly believe, God, that your gospel saves eternally. But Father, certainly our sin that takes place in a Christian's life, that, that sin needs to be recognized and called out and repented from. And so, Father, I pray specifically today for relationships in this body. Wherever there is unhealth, lack of health, Lord, I pray that you'd bring conviction of your spirit. Lord, in the coming uh, minutes, uh, days, hours, weeks, whatever may come, whenever we run into a brother or sister in Christ and have those thoughts that would, that would not be loving, I pray that you would, through the power of the 
conviction of the Holy Spirit that you would cause us to repent in the very moment, ask for forgiveness, and strengthen relationships to your glory. Father, if there's anyone that is here now or watching us online that does not know the love of God, they have never understood the simplicity of the gospel, that they do not have to make themselves right to come into your presence. That's a works righteousness, and it will never work. Father, they can come in their filthiness of sin as long as they have faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And they, are, they repent from their sins. Lord, not, not through their own strength, but through yours. Lord, Lord, I pray that you would bring people to faith because of what your word teaches and because of how your people live amongst themselves. We pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would be present in our gathering every time we get together. May the love that we express to one another glorify you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.